no, they mostly just speak French to me. Oh, well, then they just hate you. Uh, <laughs> it's most, it's, you know, this is pretty much Europe. I think Europe is better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 279 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood today. Hey, guys. How are you doing? I am, I am cold in Montreal. How about you guys? Is that the name you give when you call the radio station? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. So if you hear my voice, that's, that's the one. <laughs> just cold? Is, is it like hyphenated cold-hearted? Or? Uh, no, just cold. Just cold. Just cold. I, I would like to commend that there's no expl- exp- expletives in that statement. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's cold. It's not that cold yet. It's supposed to be on Thursday. <laughs> oh, so your fight will be canceled. Yeah, pretty much, due to temperatures. <laughs> They can't. Can, un, uh, the jet bridge will be frozen to the plane. Yeah. Can we can we talk about Air Canada IT for a minute? Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. So, for those who don't know, you have to pay for a seat on Air Canada if you don't book one of their more expensive fares. Um, and I paid for a seat because I'm not going to get stuck in a middle seat on the Transcon on Thursday. Uh, and I decided I wanted to change that seat to a seat that's priced the exact same as what I paid. They want to charge me again for the same. Seat. Does it refund after? Doesn't tell you. Just says we want to charge you the whatever amount. So I'm not going to pay them to change to a seat that's the exact same. You know, United does the same thing, right? Really? Yeah. How can we not figure this out? (laughs) If A equals B. It's because they don't go back and check your record if you'd paid for the previous seat assignment. Oh my gosh. So United does it. And if you've been comped an economy plus seat on United... You'd think, oh, well, it's the same value seat. You, I don't have to pay again, but you do. <sighs> it's just terrible. Yeah. It's, it makes for a really like frustrating experience. And this is after the Amadeus cutover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, So they're spending millions of dollars a year on Amadeus, and this is what they get. Is that an I, I, IBM product? No, no. Okay. No, no, that's... Uh, does it, does some it have their, quantum in it? Oh, my God. Some of their... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know that's going to be the whole conversation for like the next five years, right? Quantum? Oh, yeah. Quantum computing, maybe. Oh, God. Well, at least we've evolved from blockchain. Or machine no, learning. No, blockchain is very much still a thing. I've got a, a webinar that I'm not attending about how blockchain is going to provide security for all the loyalty programs. Oh, maybe we'll have quantum blockchain next. That is definitely <laughs> a thing that's happening. Seth, you heard it here first. Seth's breaking that story. Can we talk about can we talk about blockchain too? There was a there's a guy that helps run the Wikipedia um, website, and he was kind of talk he was doing like a Q and A uh, on Twitter about you know making it more secure, kind of getting rid of like junk content, and how do they do that? And someone presented like a bunch of arguments about blockchain. And you should use blockchain and all this stuff. And this guy goes, "What you're describing is a database. We have a database. <laughs> we don't need another database." <laughs> I thought it was the most hysterical conversation. I'd ever seen on Twitter. It is a database. My favorite is when people yeah. start talking about wanting to use. But it's a it's a distributed database. It's not centralized, so one person can't dictate authority. <laughs> Which is not what Wikipedia wants, sort of. <laughs> There's also the part where people are t- using Wikipedia as the front end, and then a separate, normal, traditional database on the back end with pointers between them. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. anyway, we completely went off the rails of aviation and straight into nerdum of computers. Uh, all the things I'm talking about were specifically with respect to aviation and loyalty programs. I took it off the rails. Okay. But, but, you know, going back to your Air Canada comment, you have to wonder what is wrong with this industry when in this day and age, we still can't get basic technology things done properly. 
Yeah. And, it, and these companies are paying millions of dollars a year for these services, and they're accepting subpar service. This is right. what happens when you bolt on to a bolt on to a bolt on of a 1970s platform. 70s? I think some of these date back to the 60s at the rate we're looking. Yeah, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> I mean, it's probably old. The the GDSs or the PSSs at this point are probably older than the average age, age of our listener base. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're older than the average age of the pilots. <laughs> I mean, they have to re- the pilots are retiring. So should right. they retire the, the PSSs? One of, them, one of them is mandatory, like <laughs> regulated by the government. The other one is decidedly not. Well, I, um, I think the best part of this uh, Stephen's trip this week was his paper ticket. Yeah, I got issued a paper ticket. Nice. <laughs> I, I I didn't even realize it. I got to the airport and uh, the United agent was standing. It was at the check in, like a little self check in thing, and I was scanning my passport. It it bombed out, and it had bombed out online. And I was like, "What the heck, man?" So maybe I have to scan my passport at the airport. It bombs out at the airport, and the agent's like, "Is your passport up to date?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's current." She looks at it. She like scans her ID, and it's like, uh, "Confirm paper ticket with customer." <laughs> no, she goes, she goes, uh, she goes, do you have another ticket? I was like, yeah. She goes, okay. I go, I don't have it on me. She goes, well, where is it? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I know I have another ticket number. She goes, well, you're going to have to deal with that when you get to Denver. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then Wait, she United issued the ticket or Air Canada did? That's the thing is the travel agent issued the paper oh. on Air Canada. They issue, the whole thing's on Air Canada stock, or was it a split ticket? A split ticket. Ah, exciting. Yeah, it was. It was uh, made for. She just looked at me like it was a crazy person, like she had never seen that error before. The the only time I've seen paper ticket recently on United is when I was flying standby. It somehow kicked it out to be needing a coupon, and then when it on the boarding pass for the standby segment, uh-huh. and then when it cleared, it was supposed to reconcile and take over the e ticket number. And of course, in my case, it didn't. It took them three and a half tries or four tries, you know, some ridiculous amount of time for them to get us to board the plane. Um, Lovely. Anyway. Lovely. (laughs) No, in the old days, it was so much easier. Just put another sticker on your ticket, change your routing, off you go. (laughs) What I would have given for that. Paz is not not allowed to revel in the glory of the old days. Uh, let's talk about airline stuff. Well, more airlines. AA Golf. What's the story here? Are they merging or not merging, but like partnering? So they had announced uh, a week or two maybe ago uh, intentions to basically code share significantly. Mm-hmm. Right, this is the Delta Latam trade. Delta yep. and American traded Latam and Gaul. So uh, they finally they put in all the paperwork and this and that. And it's what's interesting about it is when they announced it at the when Latam walked away or moved, Americans like, oh, it's no big deal. It's like less than fifty million dollars a year, less than hundred million dollars a year in total revenue to us. It's not not a problem. We're fine. Yep. And now they like all sounded like, oh, this is amazing. We've got the great, we've great, great feed network. It's going to be huge for us. So, you know, I certainly want to laugh a little bit about that. Uh, <laughs> is I mean, is this going to be? This is really Brazil, right? Is this that's the focus yes. here? Um, is this going to be beneficial for travelers being a code share? Is it going to make things easier? Are they just not going to see an impact on, of this? You know, I mean, code share in theory means they sell better itineraries in certain scenarios. This is not a joint venture. It's not the sort of massive integration or whatever. So it's not, it's nowhere close to perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always a little skeptical, skeptical of code shares anyways, uh, just because I think the airline, it's a, they generally are better to the airline than they are to the passenger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's happening. So it's, be- I guess, arguably better than not having AA selling the tickets, but going back to our conversations a few minutes ago about the insanity of how stupid airlines are, 
because of code share or not, the way that they price and sell tickets changes. Yep. Yep. And so American wouldn't necessarily sell the through tickets with the Gaul flight number, but they will with the code share and it, it works better in their system so, and it prices correctly, quote unquote, in their system. So yeah. in that context, yes, it's good. Okay. Yeah, I, I find some of that stuff, I find it interesting just because when, you know, I look at even pricing tickets on, say, Air Canada or someone else, some of the code shares aren't cheaper. Um, yeah. And buying the direct, you know, stock on whatever airline operates is is, is better. Or buying the, the flight number yeah. uh, that's on that airline is better. But it's it's interesting to me that that's kind of like this weird caveat to all of this. Yeah. And so part of that, though, is what is the relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And code share versus joint venture makes a difference. Yep. Uh, the joint ventures are arguably more compelling and generally have tighter ties in terms of overall pricing. Uh, I will say there's one interesting thing uh, in the filing in the last week at some point, there was a filing of one of, I think the FAA going back to the one world carriers across the Atlantic, asking for clarification mm-hmm. on some things with trying to bring what's their, what are they called? Uh, Erlingus into the Alliance and or into the joint venture. And the DOT went back and said, we have all these questions. Can you explain these details? And one of the sections was, you know, while the joint ventures typically have one of the airlines manage all the pricing for each side of the Atlantic. Um, so like United publishes all the transatlantic fares that are sold across the alliance that originate in the United States, right? Yep. Um, and I think Lufthansa manages it now from Europe. The Aer Lingus would, bring, would maintain the right to publish its own fares on direct uh, sales channel. So on its website and certain third-party direct access links, but not in GDS platform. Hmm. And so uh, the point there being is, you know, could, does it necessarily, does the joint venture necessarily align the pricing? Yes, but not really. Uh, and code share definitely does. Code share just means that there's a sort of committed rate. The American filing was actually super interesting, or the, whatever, there's a one world filing was super interesting talking about how there's a base rate depending on the distance flown. And then in some cases, a guaranteed minimum. And they gave examples, but of course, the good details were redacted uh, <laughs> of what that means. But it was it was sort of, in, you know, in the very much down in the weeds thing, very interesting to me to read about how, you know, even in, you know, an, a true joint venture alliance, there are other guarantees and fair bits and this and that that don't necessarily line up where you think they will. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, boy. But, you know, free to fly reciprocity coming soon. So if you're, at least if you've got advantage miles to burn, you might have a chance soon to do them domestically in Brazil again. Yeah, yeah, which is a, it's a that's a nice thing, right? To be able to we see use the your miles. We got to see the rates, but yeah, let's assume it's probably a nice. Thing. Yeah. Um, They're also adding an additional uh, real flight, too, for Miami. For like three months in the winter on a 788. They're trying. Well, they have nothing, mean, it's something, but they're they not going to do with the 788s. They're not going to send them to China. Well, that's an interesting thing because they just extended their uh, schedule to for all the cancellations through the end of April. So the question is, what do they do with all these planes now? Nothing. Quite. I don't think we're going to see domestic triple seven Ws. Nope. On the schedule, they, they, they're mostly running seven eight sevens to China, anyways. But yeah. Uh, but Hong Kong was seven seven Ws, right? And that they canceled the, that as well. Yeah. Uh, I. I don't, I mean, to rejigger the schedule like that, I feel like is, yeah, first, from a crew scheduling perspective, March is already bid. So you can't do anything with those planes until April anyways, on a very consistent basis easily. I mean, you can, but it's hard to put them back into service somewhere else. Um, you get a lot of crew schedule challenges. Uh, to say nothing of where are the pilot domiciles, mm-hmm. that becomes challenging. Someone's talking about uh, Delta should move its 767s that typically fly to uh, Asia 
uh, or no, sorry, should swap the 767s that fly to Europe for the A350s and 330neos that fly to Asia because those are much nicer planes. Well, yeah. Ignoring, it's like... <laughs> ignoring the fact that the uh, 350s and 330s are like 35 and 25% higher capacity than the 767s. Uh, details. And they don't have crew domiciles in the right places. I mean, for summer lift, I could see that being a thing, right? Like you put you put the three thirties on or the three fifties yeah, on. Are you going to then schedule the seven sixes to Asia in the summer, assuming that like it's reopened but demand isn't up yet? Well, that's the that's the thing is the only place you could run them from is from Seattle. Well, that's basically the only place. I mean, that's most Detroit, China Minneapolis lift is, but isn't it? Well, I mean, you have Detroit and Minneapolis to China. Yeah, and there's the there's the one Atlanta flight too. Anyway, they don't have many to China anymore, do they? They got L.A., Shanghai. I think the Minneapolis one was the one that they reapplied for that hadn't been approved yet. Yeah, that was taking up the old American forfeited slots. Yeah. Um, you United is buying a pilot school. Yeah, you didn't see yeah. this. Kind of wild. It. We'll see. Right. I mean, Lufthansa's had a school out in Phoenix forever, which is where United is going to be. United is across the street. Uh, not quite. They're actually at different airports out there. I think. But um, yeah, it's an interesting idea. The Lufthansa one is also. Uh, ab initio or whatever like they start them from scratch and that you learn the lufthansa way to be a pilot mm. with the lufthansa school the united one is definitely not that um it's they're sort of bringing people along at many different levels and many different le- uh types of experience and bringing them through the group so very interesting you know is... the only thing i can think is unless they plan on changing the cost metrics of it i'm not sure it helps enough i mean the goal here is to bring in more pilots and make more pilots yeah. available to their operation and absolutely uh so you're saying from a cost perspective is, are they going to get enough value from it to make it? No, work? I'm saying, are they going to be able to convince enough people to become pilots? Mm, gotcha. Because it's super expensive. Uh, the 1500 hour rule changed a lot. You need 1500 hours of a pilot time before you can become a commercial aircraft pilot. Yep. And so typically the process is you gain some hours during your training yep. and certification, and then you fly banner tow planes or work as an instructor, which ironically doesn't have the same requirements, uh, to get enough hours sitting in the plane, and then you go and fly for a commercial airline estates. You can also, there's some countries where you can fly without the 1,500 hours, because back in the day it wasn't necessary in the U.S. either. Uh, they changed after the Colgan air crash, the prop that went down in Buffalo. And it has sort of destroyed the pipeline and changed the cost uh, equation for what it takes to become a pilot in the U.S., and it's really hard to get people to keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's expensive. 1,500 hours is an expensive venture to if you're going to do it on, on your own. Six figures. Yeah. And you're not going to make that up for a couple of years. Not quickly. Yeah, and if you take a loan out, yeah, you can just see it being it's no different than a, a student loan, college student loan. Yeah. <laughs> and with the caveat of, you know, I guess it depends on what your major was, but you're probably going to start making not a ton of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, can can the pilot still do the private pilot way, or not the private pilot, but, but like the uh, charter pilot, or you know, operating for like a little, um, you know, point to point operator for someone like their their personal pilot or flying uh, a little like bizav kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Can they do that, um, or are they restricted there as well? I'm not sure, and okay. it depends on like, there's different types of licenses and, and different rules to, for the different types of. Uh, the licenses that are issued. Um, yeah. But I think like, I think the commercial pilot rule applies even to the random signal, like Great Lakes, who's now gone. I yep. uh, was like flying single pilot props with 10 seats on board. They pulled a bunch of seats out because at 19 seats, they were, they were required to have two pilots mm-hmm. when they were running a bunch of their essential air service stuff in the Midwest. And they pulled, they pulled the uh, seats out and made it super comfortable so they could get down to single pilot operations because they didn't have enough pilots to keep running. And then they and went and under. It still, it still went under. Um, <laughs> Just couldn't keep it going. So it's 
we've seen the pilot situation chipping away at sort of the low-hanging fruit, if you will, of weaker airlines and smaller carriers in the U.S. And like we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of pilots set to retire in the coming years. And not a lot, not nearly enough people signing up and doing the... It just takes a lot of time. I mean, flying 1,500 hours, you can't do eight hours a day. So Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of time in the in the seat and and just a lot of calendar time to get there. I mean, you're talking about years of yep. pipeline to get, even if you're willing to fly, you know, four to six hours a day or whatever it is, it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. So will, will we see a shift in gauge as pilots can, the pilot base contracts more and more as these guys uh, retire? Ish. I mean, that's really the only solution, right? If you want to keep growing the number of passengers, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that is certainly one way to do it, but there's someone has to have those planes and have them in service. And those planes, like, no one's buying 300 777s to run domestic U.S. service 10 years from now. It's just not happening. Oh, why not? It's not the it's not the days of triple uh, 747s flying L.A., San Francisco? No. <laughs> A man can dream. Exactly. <laughs> Good old days. The uh, golden era of aviation. Hey, man. So... Did you guys see that there was another, like, uh, so that Cape Air was going to start service to Manhattan via seaplane? Yes. I, what is the story there? Do you, know, do you know off the top of your head? I just saw they published, published in the schedule. Um, they were going to go to uh, New Haven, and I forget where the other one was. Oh, East Hampton. What? The, East <laughs> the, Hampton. Hamptons, the Hamptons is not too surprising. There's other airlines that do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, New Haven's a little surprising to me. Just because, I mean, Metro North runs hourly and it's two hours. So I'm yeah. sure the flight is 30 minutes or so block time. So it's definitely faster. But by the time you get over there and do it and whatever, I mean. It, unless you're on the, I mean, I'm guessing they're going to be at the seaport on the east or the. the east River. Yeah. yeah, the East River. So yeah. unless you need to be on the east side. Uh, well, I can spend 45 minutes getting from Grand, not from Grand Central probably. But, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, will they even actually take off the water or just turn on the props and just float to New Haven? <laughs> Well, they don't need a special. Then they're just a boat. Yeah. They, they can t- drag one of the New York City ferries all the way to New Haven. <laughs> Get to Blasio to subsidize that bullshit too. Um, Sorry, no, it's language. Okay. Um, DHS has uh, the Department of Homeland Security has basically given a giant middle finger uh, to the state of New York. Um, you know, I think this has been in the news now for what almost a week, maybe yeah. a little less. Uh, that they cut, the Department of Homeland Security has cut off the ability to apply for trusted traveler programs or reapply or you know renew trusted well, travel programs for they've even canceled everything in flight. So if you were conditionally approved and waiting on an interview, you're out. Oh, so even stuff that you, you had processed and yep. waiting for an approval has been they purged the database. Yeah, tentative uh, conditional approvals were were also uh, removed. So I, I I just have a you know I kind of asked this question in our little chat. Is this is this a retaliatory response? Like, can we see it as that? I mean, a lot of people are kind of saying it is, but is there actually a tie between ICE and their database and DHS's database? Do we know? My understanding was when they go to verify who people are, they do query the local DMV. Okay. So, because here's here's where you right, know, like, I mean, you show you show you submit ID. And so I guess the part I don't understand is if I show up and provide other forms of identification, but happen to live in New York state, yeah. am I still screwed? And then, yeah. then it becomes truly retaliatory. Like if I, if my driver's license is not at all part of my proof of identity, can you still justify not processing my claim yeah. or my, my application? So, so what fired this all off was uh, they, they are, New York has claimed to be, or has said that they are a uh, sanctuary state. 
um, and they will not be submitting uh, DMV records to ICE um, for basically picking out illegal immigrants or people who are undocumented uh, by ICE to not encourage them to pick those people up. Uh, and so the, what we're talking about when we say retaliatory is if the administration, the current administration um, is going after New York by cutting off access to these trusted traveler programs because of their stance as a, as a sanctuary state. Is it purely that, or is it like, you know, we're suggesting, is it because uh, the DMV database is actually used for some of this processing? And Seth, what you're saying is it could, it could be, it could be kind of a mix of both. Yeah. I think like many things, I'm sure it's a bit of both. Yeah. And, and that's where I was just kind of like, from a technical standpoint, no one's really written an article that explains uh, the deep, and maybe it's because of they have security reasons that they don't want to share what the behind the scenes is that they're doing for a trusted traveler or for, you know, ice and what, what ice is looking at. Um, but I've never, I haven't seen anyone write anything as to what's really going on. It's, it's mostly just saying it's retaliatory. Yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, it sucks for New Yorkers, in my opinion, um, to not be able to do this. And, and as this is, as we're coming up on a, a requirement to have a real ID, right? The, the quote yeah, unquote real first. ID. So that raises an interesting question. Can you be real ID compliant if you're not sharing data? I don't think you can, right? I don't know. Um, and also, and I, there's also the question: like, if you already if you already have a real ID compliant license, does that and they are qualified? Obviously, trusted travelers still exists. Are they going to start rejecting people? Mm. I mean, right? By rejecting, I mean like denying you the pre-check stamp or whatever. Yeah. Well, and that's where I'm, I'm, you know, I use Oregon doesn't have real ID yet. They're encouraging everybody to get real ID, but I'm not, I'm just going to wait till my license expires and I'm just going to use my, my passport. Is it optional in Oregon or not available? What, what do you mean? Uh, Will the DMV in Oregon issue it if you bring the paperwork around? Yes. Eventually. But from what I've heard, it takes, it's taking a long time to get there. I mean, it took me three tries in New Hampshire. Yeah. So I haven't even attempted it yet. Um, but I, I've heard that it's taking a long time and it's it's difficult. So I'm interested to try it and see. Maybe we'll try with Jess's license or something. Um, but at the same time, I can just use my passport, <laughs> which is kind of like whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting question for sure as what as what workers are going to do. Yeah, has there um, been any re- no news on when they're going to reopen this or if they're going to reopen trust travel programs or anything like that? Well, they're suing the Attorney General for New York is suing the, the, the federal government. Okay, lovely. Just what we need to spend our tax dollars on, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they failed at defend fighting the T-Mobile Sprint merger, so they need to do something with all that time. <laughs> I thought that was just the federal ruling, not the state ruling. Those Because there's two separate lawsuits the, about the merger. Uh, no, the, all the attorney generals lost. The only thing pending now is the California Public Utilities Commission. Okay. Which they'll pass it because, you know, they don't care. Um, would you guys pay for flagship first dining at American Airlines? I know this one wasn't on our topic list, but... Would I pay... How much? What are we talking about here? Right. So that's the question. Uh, More or less the OTG. (laughs) Well, (laughs) depends on what you're eating. I think the meal price would probably come out about the same as dining at, uh, what's the secret replacement? Classified. Classified. Depending on what you order there. Would Uh, I get better quality food? Supposedly the food at Flagship First Dining is pretty good. Uh, Very good. I haven't had it yet. I've done a breakfast there. I mean, it is good. Services, what you'd expect from airport staff. Yeah. I've also heard... uh, People say that the hamburger is spectacular for airport dining. So but it's, it's a hamburger, and like, how much? Like, I can pay thirty dollars in an airport for a very, very good hamburger. I'm sure, and whatever. Well, well there, you know, within the blogger community, there's a uh, rivalry between the Polaris Burger and the American flagship burger. 
Yeah. I'm not a cool enough blogger to be involved in that. This, this is what we've got. <laughs> Uh, no, someone's suggesting that it's the price point might be as much as one hundred and fifty dollars. So where's this? Where's this coming from? The internet. People are suggesting that Americans going to allow. So you there's to pay. been there's been some rumors floating um, from re- re- pretty reliable folks saying that America might be allowing this, and then the price point suggested recently was someone claimed that they were offered it for one hundred and fifty bucks and did not bother to ask if it was for one passenger or for the two people on the itinerary. So it could I, be seventy five or one hundred and fifty bucks a person. I, I mean, isn't part of the beauty of flag, flagship first dining is that you're flying first and it's kind of exclusive? Is Are there that few people flying American first? I think that's part of it. Well, I mean, let's take a step back, right? What exists, what service does American have on first, right? They've got the LA, they've got LA, San Francisco from JFK and they have the 77W routes, right? So the two Hong Kong routes, some Sao Paulo service and the occasional London service. Yeah. Right, not even Sydney is a seven seven W route anymore. Yeah, but I mean, is is the then you're going to say, well, we're just going to you know charge for it? I guess I guess it's a good money maker if you can get people to yeah, to, right. If you have built up the infrastructure, yeah, at some right, at some level, it's no big deal to keep it going. But it also, you got to like pay to have a chef standing there. So coming coming soon, Polaris for a price. But it, it's really just it's not a dedicated chef though, right? It's the same kitchen staff that services the rest of the lounge. Yeah. Right, so there inventory. Like, I mean, yep. In, there, there are some costs associated with it that don't make sense if you're only serving four meals a day. I'm uh, not sure what they're going to be. Uh, absolutely, but, but you also have to remember, um, it's not just open to American first, but like Cathay first. You'll get in. So when I flew Cathay first a few weeks ago, I had flagship dining access. Um, so they're selling it to partners as well. They're already partners. Some of the partners are already using it as well. Not that that adds a lot of folks, but it does add additional folks. Jow should move over to that terminal. But Terminal One is so great. Okay, you're fired. I, beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't terrible. It just yes, wasn't it is. It was, it was, okay, it was terminal One is JFK is terrible. <laughs> if if anyone you know you know if anyone's listening to this and likes Terminal One, uh, we have a few listeners <laughs> beg to differ and would like to fight you. Uh, <laughs> we have a few, we have a few hosts. Not sure, <laughs> listeners too, but we have a few hosts that would like to fight. You. <laughs> and guests, guest hosts. I, I would argue though, Terminal One is better than two. I don't think I've been to T2. That's a so shitty T2 Delta is Delta. the remaining half of Delta's disaster hunt operation. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've been there. It's awful. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, bad. But you can go. You can hang out in T4 for most of the time and then eventually go over to T2. But you jitney. have to take the stupid bus. The jitney. It's a jitney, damn it. No, it's a bus. Just because <laughs> you give it a fancy name doesn't make it glorious. <laughs> they completely cribbed the Hampton jitney name and made it the JFK jitney. Ugh. All right, uh, we go back on topic because I don't know yeah. what we're doing anymore. <laughs> uh, so uh, Newman uh, had started an airline or was rumored to be starting an airline called Moxie uh, and gotten a little tiff with Marriott over that name. Uh, and then <laughs> he, agreed he claims that was never the real name. But... Oh, OK. OK. It was code name. Gotcha. Uh, and has now re- changed the name to Breeze. They've got a name. They've got a livery. They've got an application into the Department of Transportation for the necessary permits for operation. Now they just need some airplanes. They're working on that. So this is, you think this is really going to happen? They're definitely going to take flight. Uh, yeah, I read the application. I looked at some stuff. The The airplane situation, he's got an order for 60 A220-300s with delivery yep. starting in April 2021. He also, because he happens to own half of Azul, or a significant portion of Azul, and Azul wants to get rid of all their older Embraer 195s, because mm-hmm. they got a bunch of E2s coming along, the newer version, that are more fuel efficient. He arranged to lease uh, 28 of them for Breeze. Hmm. And then they got another like dozen or so being leased to Lot, which really likes flying as well in Europe. But 
up to 28 planes in the America in North America for Breeze to fly. And he said that they'll launch service later this year with some of those planes. And, and mostly point-to-point stuff, right? All point-to-point stuff, all secondary and tertiary markets on a three- to five-day-a-week schedule to uh, leisure destinations. It's basically Allegiant version two. No, no, it's, it's, it's Sun Country. No, it's Allegiant. He literally <laughs> hired three, two or three former senior executives from Allegiant. So basically what you're telling me is Bellingham, Washington, Portland might get some service. Spokane. Well, they're, they're, yeah, they're start, those, are all, those cities are all way too big. Those uh, aren't oh. tertiary cities. <laughs> oh, you need something smaller than that. Bellingham might be, but it's Portland and Spokane probably aren't, are too big. Right? Springfield. They, yeah, they, they're literally looking for tiny places that once or twice a week they can put 100 people on a 122-seat plane. Williston, South Dakota. Walla Walla. Yeah. <laughs> Walla Walla Washington. There you go. They are starting east of the Mississippi oh, um, on north-south routes, and he said he's got two or three sort of target destinations in leisure places, places where people have second homes. One interesting fact that maybe slipped, maybe not in the filing, uh, and our good friend Reed and frequent listener and commenter will enjoy this, the maintenance space is going to be Islip. Oh, so I can tell you what route then. They're going to fly Islip or White Plains to Tallahassee, Florida. No, Sanford. And and other and other geriatric retirement communities. Well, I say, I, you think Sanford? I'd put an Islip to. So they don't have to necessarily be a secondary city at the other at the leisure end. Um, but I could see Islip to. He also said they're going to places where there's no competition, and I forget where Southwest flies out of Islip, like Islip to West Palm. Well, I don't. They don't fly to uh, down to Florida, from what I remember. Baltimore, and, Baltimore and, and somewhere in the middle of the country, Chicago, like Midway or down. Yeah. yeah. So I, you're right. I could see. Uh, I could see some Islip, Florida service. Neilman had a great success doing that at JFK uh, with JetBlue, and so going a little further away, but you know, West Palm or Destin or St. Petersburg. But some of those are also, you know, St. Petersburg might be too close to to Gorda and the Allegiant traffic. I mean, there's some places I can see it, but what's really interesting is the to me, or there's a lot of this that's really interesting to me. A, the staff that he's hired. The, if you look at the history and the resumes of all these people, he got some crazy good talent to show up and help run this thing. Like crazy qualified, really strong people. That's how good his reputation is in the industry. He's sort of you know the Midas of airline founders. So bringing this back full circle to where what we were talking about at the beginning, how is their IT situation going to be? Are they going to be bolting on something on top of bolting on top of something? Oh, no, he has promised that it's going to be a seamless IT experience and that they're going to uh, focus on ex- uh, interacting with their customers using technology. Whenever, so, whenever someone says seamless, I'm fairly certain I'm going to vomit. So... <laughs> Seamless, 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 seamless. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw up right now. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so they're going to go with either Saber or the Google solution that Cape Air uses. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but th- th- I'm sure that the technology will be an interesting experience. Um, right, A lot of the new airlines are trying to go sort of digital first, and they'll see what that really means. But it's hard because there's a lot of legacy stuff you got to interact with. Except they can't but, spell, spell digital. Well, again, they're, they're at least starting fresh, so they've got a chance. Um, but the other interesting, one of the other interesting things to me about it is the E195s basically are useful up to two and a half or three hours uh, flight time. After mm-hmm. that, the fuel efficiency starts to crater <laughs> just in terms of trip cost. It gets real expensive after uh, pretty quickly. The A220s, he's talking about like 4,000 nautical mile routes with the ability to quick change overnight, lie flat beds up front and all sorts of other crazy things. So it's almost like he plans to run two different airlines and that's, I mean, 
every example we've ever seen of an almost every example we've ever seen of an airline trying to run two different airlines with two different types of service and two different focuses foci uh under a single company does badly yeah it's, a mullet. it's, it's a mullet huh ted yeah uh, um rawr. air canada is the only one that's vaguely been successful I or one of few that's vaguely successful I it, and i mean this guy is like the elon musk of airlines it feels like he's just like no. out there like presenting things no he because this guy's actually proven commercially successful several times <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference <laughs> He's somewhat respectable, not full of himself, and someone's, and has actually delivered. His autopilot actually works. Um, so let's talk about then what this means. I mean, could they partner, you think, with another airline, like, say, United, where United doesn't want to offer this kind of service to uh, no. Florida? Or do you think that's just out of the question? Not going to happen. Yeah. I was just they'll thinking partner, about the They'll partner with Pat when they get to a gateway, and they'll partner with Azul, which are the other two he owns. But Yep. yep. Interesting. Um what else we got? Oh, some speed records were set across the Atlantic this past week because of the tropical cyclone or storm. Do we know how we're pronouncing the storm? C-I-A-R-A? Ciara? 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 Fine. Cutter? I was about to say that. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> we do comments about that on Twitter every now and then. <laughs> that, so, well done, well done. Uh, uh, yeah, BA put a 747 New York to London in 454, I think. Man. 456. <laughs> Virgin 456? 457. Okay, yeah, and it was uh, subsonic speed records. So obviously Concorde went faster and military planes have gone faster in supersonic. But the there was some fun on Twitter where after being after noting that they lost by a minute on the record, Virgin Atlantic replied to a flight radar tweet saying, it's cool because we only burned half as much fuel with them using a brand new A350. Thanks. <laughs> and, and the Virgin plane carried like 100 more people or something like that. Uh, then the 747 from BA, and which of course touched off the whole Airbus versus Boeing, Queen of the Skies, 747 nostalgia, and all sorts of other idiocy. But it was a pretty funny tweet. But I mean, it's so you know, it's what's surprising about that isn't that they made it in under five hours, is that they landed in the first attempt. Yeah, because I mean, wouldn't they have landed at Heathrow while with the curfew still in? Yeah. Well, not even that, but the store, like the at one point in Heathrow, they were saying only about five out of twenty planes were landing. Everyone else was going around, and there was dozens of diversions. Yeah. It, it was super gusty, and so you had a lot of go around and like aborted landings at the last minute, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was hard to it was hard to get controlled approaches. Yeah, there were people I saw on Twitter watching the live feed of Heathrow, um, just kind yeah. of staring in awe at, at these planes trying to land. Um, you know, I, I had a crossing to Paris, Newark to Paris, and I, we did that in under six uh, during the winter because of a really strong tailwind. I think it was like yeah. 200 knots. That's and, uh, and it was, I mean, that was, we got to Paris so early, uh, it was still dark out and it, it really just like threw me off. So I can't, like, I can't imagine what it was like even shorter going across the ocean. I mean, I'm sure people were happy, but. Well, London's always about half an hour shorter anyways, right? So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and then the other question to, is, did they have to circle? <laughs> oh, yes. The the dreaded uh, hold. But yeah. it's interesting. That day was the same day that uh, Qantas 8 had a tail strike on departure. 10, but yeah. Oh, 10, sorry. And Which it was, is the Perth return, right? Yes, it's a return. He threw it to Perth, so they circled around for a while and then ended up coming back. Oops. It was a busy day at Heathrow. <laughs> and then didn't Frankfurt have some uh, drones flying around? Yep. Reported, yeah. Did, did they actually find anybody with the with the drones or did is that not right. no one said anything? I haven't heard it. Huh. That's I mean that really screwed up some people's travel days for sure. Um Air Italy. Air Italy. 
is uh, you know the Cutter based airline. Right? <laughs> Aren't they backed by, by Cutter? Forty nine percent. They're they're a European airline. Thank you very right. much. Or were were a European airline? Yes. Are they're liquidating and they're going away uh, ASAP? Right. I mean, it's yeah. They hired. My understanding is they hired uh, charter aircraft for the next two weeks through the twenty fifth. They announced it on the eleventh, and then uh, they are halting all operations after that. And I think a big part of that is under. Uh, What's it called? Under the EU 261 rules, if they notify you more than two weeks of out and just refund your money, they don't have to rebook you. Mm. Um, I mean, this. Yeah. I mean, at least they've kind of made an effort, right, to get people that are on itineraries that are currently out there uh, home uh, by leasing these planes. Um, but they've kind of also made they made a statement. I was reading that it was like, "We're going to rely. People can fly other carriers to get home." It's like one of the statements. It's like, wow, okay, okay I guess. Yeah, I, I think this is, what that statement is supposed to be is we are arranging for passes on other airlines. Maybe I misunderstood it. Okay, I just kind of took it like, oh, well, on your own, buddy. Have a good time. Yeah, yeah. and Qatar Airways issued a release stating that, uh, you know, we are ready to provide support, but without additional investment by the other shareholders, we can't invest further funds and will not invest further funds. So, um, I mean, we were ready to spend something. money, but the other 51% holder wouldn't. Yeah, like they're not they're not pulling a monarch, right? And just shutting down overnight and hoping that people get picked up and brought home. So, yeah, well, best I can tell, there probably weren't many people holding tickets anyway, so it may not matter. <laughs> what were you going to say, Foz? So I was saying, so they're taking a different approach than Etihad. <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah. Not gonna check <laughs> money until we run out. <laughs> I think they didn't run out of money. It's just that I mean, Qatar took a different approach, or yes, oh. Qatar took it. You know, they they decided to st- stop the hemorrhaging before it got yeah. too bad. I think the problem really is the ownership stake. They can't invest more money unless the other owners do, because then their ownership stake would exceed fifty percent, and they the it's not, not regulatory, yeah, regulatory problems. Yeah, um, Jeju Air, which is a Korean airline. Um, is now grounding 20 of their 45 planes uh, because of the China uh, coronavirus traffic drop. Yep. Um, have they said when they think they're going to bring them back? I mean, this is kind of like what's happening in the U.S. with long-haul fleets, uh, but it's 20 out of 45 planes is significant. Yeah, I haven't seen any. I, this is mostly me reading a headline and not actually having on details, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good, you know, there's been a lot of people talking about what the impact has been and what the real traffic numbers are going to be. And we are somewhat understandably pretty focused on the long haul experience and the U S carriers. Um, there's things like air China had changed its, uh, routing. So they're flying two, they're going to only run two routes going forward and it's going to be New York or, uh, Beijing to New York to Dulles and back with the tag flight and to LA with the tag to San Francisco. <laughs> and they're going to only fly three, four days a week will be the West coast and three days a week. The East coast There's only one daily turn. It's kind of crazy. And it's, they I mean, a lot of that comes down to if you've been in mainland China, you can't actually come to the United States. Yeah. Yep. So uh, with, with caveats and rules and exceptions, but the gist of it is you're screwed. Um, yep. If you're if you're a non-citizen, you're not allowed to enter. And if you're a citizen, there's some. Uh, and and for you know people that are thinking about how this impacts their travel, you know, I mean, there's also the impact to uh, shipping. So there's been rumors that Shenzhen will be the next city that will be you know, quarantined or closed down and the impacts to, you know, U.S. industry and I mean, Chinese industry. Global. uh, Yeah. Is, is, is huge. If Shenzhen is cut off. But so Uh, here's my question, right? The China has slowly started to reopen after their New Year's holiday. How do we know the goods coming out aren't tainted? 
I mean, there's been some chat about that as well, just about what's happening and how do we know that the, you know, it's still not completely clear how this thing transmits. There's some, you know, there's been some stuff that's been released about, you know, via the air and it's aerosol and all these things. Seth, you shared that that article about that. Yeah, but, I think Chinese authorities claiming it or admitting it. So I, te- you know, I hate to say it, but if they downplay and, and pretend it's not such a big deal, I'm skeptical. But when they admit it's bad, I tend to believe them. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think... I just think that if you close down Shenzhen, like that is a really bad sign for Chinese and global economy uh, futures. Yes, and, and airlines, right? And it's, it's that's that's big. Even for like, I'm talking about like DHL, UPS. Yeah, the cargo situation gets pretty ugly pretty quick. Yeah, and it was already not great. I mean, it's just with the whole the trade war and things like that, the uh, the tariff stuff. It the uh, Asia trade has not been great. Yeah, yeah. Cargo numbers that Iata keeps putting out keep showing up really bad. Hmm. Like less than 50% load factors. Uh, life Miles. So, Seth, you, you wanted to talk about a Life Miles promo, which is uh, – that's Avianca's uh, program. Yeah. So uh, what's, I, what's the story? I came across this the other day, and I was sort of dumbfounded. They have a – you know, uh, United sells, like, the priority boarding subscription, and Delta had a similar sort of thing. And there's – there's subscriptions, right? The idea is you sort of buy a small chunk of elite status. And it's a good way to build loyalty at a fixed price and blah, 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 blah. There's some good things about this. Life Miles has a buy points annual subscription. Or a <laughs> month. It's like a month to month. but And it's really bad pricing considering Life Miles every other month seems to have a 75 to 110% bonus available. So it's, it's one of those things. I'm like, oh, so like I can sign up to be stuck for a month buying points at double the normal value, or for a year buying points at double the normal value or double the normal price. Why would they even bother to sell that? It, just, it caught me off guard. I was like, had to go back, and it was so bad that I had to go back and double check the numbers a couple times to make sure I was completely understanding that. <laughs> so I don't have anything more to say about it other than it's a terrible plan and you shouldn't do it. But it was one of those weird things that was like, did they like see everybody else talking about how these subscriptions are a great thing and so decided to run their own and then did it really badly because that's what it seemed like <laughs> oh man and and Foz, you mentioned that they're you can buy life miles right now really cheap i mean that goes right hand in hand yeah they're running some promo right now so well, thanks Not, for the details i don't you think i buy miles <laughs> i actually earn my miles by flying <laughs> i know it's a novel concept oh man Jeez. i don't earn my miles by flying <laughs> i don't spend enough money on tickets oh man anyway Last topic, and then we'll end this this uh, fiasco. Is the seven eighty seven dash three the NMA? I mean, we've talked about this before, right? A little bit. Um, but what's bringing it back up? Eh, I said I saw a headline the other day. So what's what was the headline that you know that people are suggesting that it might be the next the the option to bring back the NMA at a lower cost than a full clean sheet development? Yeah, I mean, I could see it. Do you think? I mean, it would be a uh, twin aisle seven uh, five, basically, right? Yeah, I can um, see it. It's basically like I think it's seven eight eight size, but with a four thousand mile range or three thousand mile range. Yeah, four thousand mile. I think it could do transatlantic, like short transatlantic, but not much beyond that. Yeah, um, well, I think it's still too heavy. It's but... four thousand at full cargo because most of those transatlantics don't go with full cargo loads. Um, I mean, sure, I don't know. Okay, I'm... so let's see. Let's see what like I'm looking at Newark, Birmingham. Like what what the distance is on that? Thirty two. Thirty-three ninety-two. You got gypped on your miles there, Foz. 
but no, they don't even run Birmingham anymore. They run Man- Manchester. I know, but I'm just saying. Like, let's talk about you know yeah, Newcastle. The seven eight seven three would have carried three hundred passengers over twenty five hundred to three thousand nautical miles. So if um, they, if they revamp that, they lower the passenger numbers, up the fuel efficiency, and get it to go further. Yes, I can see it being the NMA. And that yeah, yeah that might it's, be. I mean, right, it's design, it was designed basically to replace the seven five three seven six two. It was yeah, which. You know, whatever. But I'm not sure that neither of those is the right targets, given how small those markets were. But that also clearly covers the 752 and you know some of the 763 stuff. But I mean, for if you look at something like United, right, that could be an interesting replacement for their high density business planes and move the 763s onto more of the 752 routes. High density or high J? High J density. That's what I meant. Okay, so high J. Yeah, high J. Not to be confused with the triple seven high densities. Yeah, those are just evil. Um, yeah, you know, I and the the line exists like the, so that if I remember correctly, the dash three had a slightly different wing and some other changes to it to help it uh, be smaller and lighter. Hmm. Uh, because if you don't need the extra range, you can take out steel tanks and things like. That. But I, I so I could see that being useful and could probably be a pretty quick development. And certainly the seven eight seven line has spare capacity. I mean, they already announced last week or the week before that they were reducing production rate. So. Uh, in a year or two, because they don't have enough back orders. Um, I don't know. It'll be. It, I think it's an interesting idea. I think they always missed out by not actually running the dash three, but also like they had to get the dash eight and the dash nine to service because those were a bigger deal at the time. I just feel like it's too much airplane still. Like I just, I don't know. Well, know. But it's, it's it cheaper is. than doing a clean sheet design, but, though. Yeah. I think that's the reality. Yeah, yeah, it's a shorter wing with wing than the dash three. Um, anyway, yeah. that's all I got. Well, I think that's a show, guys. To our uh, listeners, you can find us on Twitter at Dots Lines. You can comment on our pronunciation of different things, different country names, foreign names, etc. Cutter. Uh, and then uh, you can find Cutter. us uh, on uh, the web, moredotsmorelines.com. Leave us a comment. Love to hear from you. Happy travels. Bye-bye. Take, take care. Have a good one.